it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, so welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 146. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to take a break from doing some interviews with some of the great guests we've had recently, and we're going to ask some listener answer some listener questions tonight. So we got a few fantastic ones that we thought we would go ahead and answer on air for you guys. So I'm going to go ahead and start off with the first one. So this one says, uh, Dear Andrew, firstly, uh, can I thank you for all the help you've given me? Despite being from the UK, England, your podcast is by far the best investing podcast out there. Uh, the main question is, how do you check if a company has been buying back shares when they bought them back and what price the buyback was for, i.e., was it high or low, slash, a good or bad investment, slash, an intent to manipulation rather than invest? I know it is a little more complicated than this, but where do you start with that? Also, how would you Google whether the company has had a recent merger or is that also on the 10K as well? I imagine you are very busy and get lots of questions come in. But I uh, just want to accept a massive thank you from me, and you guys are making my isolation very productive. Yours sincerely, Callum. <laughs> Andrew, would you like to go ahead and take a stab at that? Yeah, I love it. The, good question. I, a lot of the questions that came in uh, lately, first off, thanks for writing in, and second off, they're pretty in-depth, so I guess... Uh, I would not consider this beginner level whatsoever. Um, so if you're a beginner, this is your first episode you've ever listened to. Go to our Back to the Basics series and, and get yourself educated on that first. Um, this stuff's complex, but it's also very important when it comes to stocks. So uh, let me try to answer these kind of line by line. So how do you check if a company has been buying back shares? Um, so... One way you could do this, and the way I like to do it, I like to check whenever I'm looking at a stock. I use my favorite um, tool, quickfs.net, just to look at the big picture of a stock before getting into the 10K. So if you go on there, you can look and you can see the shares outstanding from year to year to year. So if I look and if I see in 2019, the stock had uh, 600 million shares outstanding. And then let's say 2020, they had 550 million. So shares outstanding dropped by 50 million. So you know 
that they bought back 50 million shares. When it comes to uh, the price the buyback was for, so it's it's interesting and kind of tricky, right? Because um, when you have stocks in a the market, they ha- you have buyers and sellers. And so uh, whenever there's a big player, um, sometimes they can move the market. And so there's different ways that people with a lot of money will move into stocks uh, and try to do so without moving the market. So a really great book, which isn't really so much for value investing, but it's still you know, related to the stock market. It's very entertaining. It's this book about Jesse Livermore. And in there, he it's called Reminiscence of a Stock Operator. So in there, he's talking about how he got this was back in like the nineteen late nineteen twenties, early nineteen thirties. He got to a point where he built up his his bankroll, his portfolio, so high that when he would, you know, buy a stock or sell a stock, he would have to do it a certain way because if you did it all at once, it would flood the market. And so, like, let's say you're trying to sell, and you you're you're trying to sell hundreds of millions of dollars in stock on a small stock or something. And so, you know, if you put that sell order all at once, um, the market's going to freak out because they see all these sell orders coming in. And so when you're moving at that kind of volume, there's a chance that there won't be a buyer on, on the other side. And so there's a chance that you don't get the price you wanted. And, and, you know, that can obviously be very inefficient and waste a lot of money. So when it comes to a company buying back its own shares, uh, they're they're they have the potential to to fall into a similar issue, where that you know they don't want to do it all at once um, because it could you know on the flip side it could push the price up higher because they see a big buyer so they kind of have to spread it out over time and they're not going to necessarily want to announce at what price they're willing to pay for that. So I don't know if that all makes sense. Warren Buffett has a similar issue where he doesn't tell anybody what he's bought until he's like fully in his position because he has to because he has so much money he has to scale into it over time. Um and so as far as how I understand with moving a lot of money at that large of a scale, that's going to be an issue and that's why they don't want to say exactly how much they paid. Does that make sense? Yes, it totally does. Okay. And so, you know, now that begs to differ, you have the question of, well, how, if you don't know what the price was, how do you determine if it was a good or bad investment? And, you know, he asks an intent to manipulation rather than invest. So, I mean, you're not going to know the exact dollars and cents down to you know the most minute levels but in general you can kind of tell okay if they bought over this three month period or however long it was um you know they paid a certain multiple and we we can kind of get a general idea of of how much they paid and and they also announce it so uh what i mean is they announce how much they're they're uh buying back how much money they're they're spending to buy back now, so what you have to do as an investor, and if you're trying to figure out whether that was a good use of capital or not, is 
it's 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 actually not that complex. Basically, the way I look at it when I see a company uh, that I own, and if they're buying back a lot of shares, I'm not trying to say, oh, you know, you misallocated two million dollars or something small. I'm thinking if the if the stock is super overvalued, like if if we're talking about a price to book of like ten or something or a price to earnings of a hundred or something like that, right? And they're buying if they're aggressively buying back a lot of shares, well, to me, I look at that as a bad investment and also possibly an attempt not I wouldn't use the word manipulate, but to really, push up the stock price. And so you, you, as a shareholder, you have to wonder why is management trying so hard to push up the stock price? It, it can kind of feel like a, like they're just trying to maximize stock options. So like that's one extreme that I think illustrates where you can kind of make a good judgment on whether uh, it was bad or not. When it comes to something that's good, I mean, you, you kind of flip it on the other side. And so you say, if I think the stock's undervalued and then management agrees with me, so I feel good about them buying back shares. For me as a big drip guy, big on dividend investing and, and reinvesting those dividends, I want to see good dividend payments, but I'm also happy to see a good amount of buybacks too if I think the company is still cheap. So those are kind of the two camps and somewhere in the middle is probably where you'll fall uh, for most of your stocks. So I think it's a good thing to think about. Um, but there's not always the 100% perfect answer. And you have to, you have to put, you have to sometimes cut them some slack in a sense because you just, if, unless you're in the industry, it's hard to know exactly what kind of opportunities they have to reinvest the money. Um, at any given time, and it's not always going to be a gr- there's not always going to be great opportunities every year. So maybe if you just give management the benefit of the doubt and you say, "Well, you know, maybe they're just buying back shares because there's just no good opportunities at the moment." But you know, maybe if it becomes a trend where where they're they're doing it and not reinvesting at all, or they're doing it and they're not getting any real business growth out of it? Or are they doing it at, at such an aggressive rate that you're not getting a good dividend yield? I think all of those things can be maybe something to to cause trouble. But I think if you're really going to be analyzing them with a microscope, there's sometimes it can be better to just give them the benefit of the doubt as long as it's not something where you're looking at it and saying, man, this looks really wasteful. I would agree with that. And I think uh, one of the things that uh, I guess I try to do when I'm thinking about the whole impact of share repurchases is uh, one, what can the company, the company really has really kind of a few different options with the money that they make. Uh, One is to, do share buybacks. One is dividends. Another one is to just sit on it. And the other option is maybe to pay down some debt or to look at other opportunities to try to, to grow the company. And those are really kind of, you know, the main, obviously there are smaller little things that they could do. But when we're talking, you know, hundreds of millions to billions of dollars, you know, the options become more magnified, I guess is the best way of putting it. 
if you're really interested in learning more about trying to determine the manipulation or lack thereof, um, there are a, a few things you can kind of look at. One is you can look at the retained earnings that are on the balance sheet. And if you see that those are either dwindling or if they're, you know, becoming non-existent and they're still aggressively buying back shares and you can kind of tell by looking at the balance sheet and seeing how much of their money they're using towards trying to buy back stock, that could lead you to ask some questions to why. And especially if they're taking on debt to do those kinds of things, those are could be signs that the company is maybe trying to manipulate the price of the shares to enable them to get a bigger paycheck kind of thing. Um, there are, you can look in the 10 K it will, there is a section that talks about compensation for the executives. And that is something that you can notate and you can kind of see a track record with that. Another place you can look is in the cash flow statement. You can look in the cash flow statement and see what kind of options were paid out to executives in the cash flow statement. And if those are large and are growing as the share buybacks are continuing, that could also be an indication that they're trying to fatten their purse as well, especially if they're trying to, if you see the cash flow is dwindling and they're still aggressively buying back the shares because they're trying to boost the, the price of the stock. Those could be questionable choices. Again, we're not in their shoes. We don't know what they know. We're not in their industry. We're on the outside looking in and trying to make judgments. But those are some things that maybe could give you some clues as to, you know, is are they really in our best interests? Are they really trying to do what's best for us? And those are some places that you can go to kind of maybe quickly answer your question um, to determine what price the company paid for the stock. That's like Andrew said, that's going to be difficult because there's so many different players that are buying the stock and when it's actually bought and at what price it may be ex- almost impossible to, to determine exactly what it is, but I think you can probably get a good approximation for sure. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending. 
allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, both of those are really great ways to to kind of figure that out, the retained earnings and Definitely, definitely a cash flow statement. That's a great place to look and get a good picture of where money's moving. So moving on to the next question, this one's for Dave. Hey, Dave, I understand how the debt to equity ratio is a good indicator for companies during normal times, aka no coronavirus pandemic. But I wanted to ask a slightly different question. How can we tell the likelihood of a company going bankrupt if all revenue were to halt for a few months? Like what is happening now with movie theaters, restaurants, cruise lines, etc. Would debt to equity still be a good indicator? I'm particularly looking at ticker symbols CNK, RCL, and AMC right now. Thanks, Alex. Ooh, that's a great question. All right. Uh, so here's, I guess, my preliminary thoughts. Uh, I know Andrew has some thoughts on this as well. So uh, here's here's a couple things that I guess I would tell you. The debt to equity is never going to be a bad situation to get an idea of what the company is looking at. Uh, there are a couple things that you're going to want to look at in regards to just looking at the debt to equity. So, for example, let's say that we're looking at AMC. And AMC is, let's say that they're not going to be, you know, they're closed right now, so they're not making any money. So how do we know if the company is going to go bankrupt or not? Well, there's a couple of places that you can look to get at least a good idea of what they're dealing with. So first of all, think about uh, the balance sheet. When you think about the balance sheet, it's broken up into assets and it's broken up into li- liabilities. So <clears throat> it's also broken up into two sections in each of those. So you have current and then you have um, basically, you know, others. And so when we look at current assets and current liabilities, those are all monies that will typically be transacted within a year of whenever the transaction needs to occur. So for example, if there are current liabilities that are on that balance sheet, those are monies that are owed to other people within the next year or so. So one way that you could kind of determine, as opposed to going through the, a deck to equity, 
uh, you know, transaction or doing a calculation, one way you could just kind of easily determine what position the company is in would be to look at the top of the balance sheet. There is a cash and cash equivalents, and that's basically money. So the cash equivalents would be short-term investments like bonds or money market accounts. It would also be actual cash money. So you look at that number, and then you would look at the current liabilities that the company has. And if they are able to meet those with those cash and cash equivalents on hand, then for the next year or so, even if it's not bringing any revenue, the company should be okay. If it goes longer than that, obviously we're going to have to have conversations, but that's a quick and easy way that you could look and determine what kind of financial position the company is in. Now, if you see that that is actually in the negative, in other words, they don't have enough cash or cash equivalents on hand to cover their current liabilities for the short term, then they're going to have to go outside to try to find other options, whether that's raising money by selling bonds for the company or whether that means that they have to rely on lines of credit. Uh, and the reason why I bring up both of those points is there's in the news recently, Boeing as well as Carnival Cruise Lines have gone both of those routes uh, for their own sakes uh, to try to continue to allow them to survive during this period. Uh, Boeing has, has drawn down on their line of credit to have cash on hand to pay their current liabilities, which include, you know, money they owe everybody. So the same thing with Carnival, they've done the exact same thing with bonds to try to mitigate any sort of trouble that they could run into with not having any revenue coming in. So that's kind of my thought on those. I would love to hear what Andrew has to say. I mean, you really, you really have it spot on. Another way they can raise cash, which Carnival also recently announced very, very recently. I mean, we're talking probably, I don't know. <laughs> Time is blurring these days. Uh, anywhere between 24 to 48 hours ago, they're diluting shares. So we just talked about buying back shares. You can also do the opposite where you sell some shares on the market. And so that's another way that they're raising cash in, in these tough times. Obviously, having situations like this where revenue basically dries up completely we never really seen and so if anything it's the the best time and the most important time to be taking a deep examination at these businesses that either you own or you're looking at wanting to own um because in a way yeah you're not using a lot of the same metrics when you're trying to figure out the difference between a company who looks to be in good shape versus a company who is struggling to survive. Um, and so, yeah, the balance sheet's a really great place for that. We've They've laid it out really nicely here. We also talked pretty in-depth about that last week as well with in our episode with Braden. Another place you can look for developments that's going on. So, you know, you could look... So, you could have a company where they're doing one of the things Dave said where maybe they're selling bonds, you know, to raise debt or maybe they're issuing shares. They're doing something that's significant that's going to change their liquidity situation. You're not going to see that necessarily in the 10K because the 10K is released every year. And so if you look for um what's called a form 8K and I've mentioned this 
in the past as well. It's basically whenever management has a big announcement to make, they will send these out. And so you can read those and those tend to be pretty short. And in there, they will say, hey, you know, we've fully drawn down $3 billion from our revolving line of credit. And so, you know, that's how we're, we're raising cash in that situation. Something I think we haven't really seen much yet, but we could start to see is some of these companies selling uh, some of their assets. And so, you know, that could be a way that they, that they raise cash to. The last thing I'll kind of add to this is the current liabilities. Uh, that's a pretty good approximation, but understand that that number is changing from year to year. And so if they're completely halting operations, there's a good chance that a lot of their regular operating expenses might go away too. So I think it's not, I'm blanking on what the term is. It's not a panacea uh, if if you look at the cash situation and they have uh, a bad current ratio, they have a bad ratio of cash to total, I mean, I'm sorry, to current liabilities. But it is definitely something to be concerned about. And if you don't see... If you don't see different, you know, good moves being made, or if you don't see, you know, if you see a situation where their revenue is completely drying up and there's no way for them to, to kind of fight out of it, then that's definitely probably a cause for concern. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that uh, the point that uh, Andrew brought up about the expenses changing, you know, that is for sure something that will will change. I mean, you think about just the payroll part of it, the aspect of, of you know, their cost of goods sold is going to change drastically because they don't have people they're paying. So that part of it will be obviously diminished, but they're still going to have other costs that they will have incurred. If they're a restaurant, they're going to have food that they've either bought or have had to pay for because they did have sales before everything happened and they're still going to have to pay for that. And they're going to have to work out, you know, arrangements with the vendors because obviously the vendors are going to want their money too, because they have to pay for the food that they bought to sell to the restaurant. So, you know, it's, it's a bit of a vicious, vicious chain chain, but I think, when you're analyzing these companies, you know, they do have some resources available to try to help them. Uh, smaller companies, you know, the moms and pops and stuff, that's going to be a much bigger challenge. And that's something to be, you know, concerned about as well, because overall that will affect the overall economy wherever we are. And those people are the people out working, buying and going to the movies. So, you know, that's, that's going to be something that's going to have an impact as well not only to think about whether they're going to go bankrupt, but also let's say that, you know, a few months, three, four months from now, this is all kind of in our rear view mirror. How is all this going to bounce back? We don't know. Nobody knows. And anybody that says that they do doesn't uh, because nobody that's on the face of the earth has ever gone through this before. So this is all brand new to everybody. So I think for the prognosticators and the uh, experts to tell you that this is absolutely what's going to happen. They don't know. Nobody knows. And so I think when you're thinking about <clears throat> investing in some of these companies, you know, being pragmatic and having a conservative approach and thinking about some of the 
upsides and downsides of these is going to, you know, hold you in good stead for a long, long time. And I think that's something you have to definitely keep in mind when we're thinking about everything that's going on right now. I think you bring up a good point. If anything, this is the exact time to remember what kind of rules did you make? Hopefully you made rules or you have some sort of idea of when you wanted to get out when a stock was in trouble. So for me personally, if if the dividend is cut completely, if there's negative earnings or if there's a substantial increase in the debt to equity ratio, if I see a debt to equity ratio above 2.5, that's concerning. So any one of those things, I, I've years ago I did the research and you know, as more companies have gone bankrupt, it's just confirmed it even more. Those are at least with the negative earnings and the debt to equity, those are huge big red flags that are kind of waved up there before a company goes bankrupt. So, you know, it's an interesting time to be in because we're watching it all play out. It's almost like watching a car crash in slow motion. Um, but, you know, we haven't had big reports of bankruptcies yet, you know, and you wonder what's going to happen to the market when that does happen and, you know, what the timeline for that will be. And I think it's impossible to say, and I think it would be kind of different depending on the industry and the company and, and all those sorts of things. So, you know, really take a hard look and don't be afraid to take a loss if a company goes against a rule that, that you've decided in the past you know, this is, this is a situation I want to stay out of. Like for me, I don't, uh, why would I hold an investment if it doesn't pay a dividend? Why am I hanging on to this investment? It's not giving me cash flow. Then, then that's a reason for me to be out. All good things to kind of look at. And unfortunately, there's no perfect answer when it comes to how we, how do we know which company is going to go bankrupt if they don't get revenue? But you know, the, those numbers on the balance sheet can tell you at least, again, I, I feel like I'm saying the same answer for both questions, but it really comes down to like, you'll have companies who are at the extremes and that's where the numbers really, really help and, and kind of make it blatantly obvious. And then you might have a lot of companies that are somewhere in the middle where it's really hard to to tell and and on the one hand, you don't want to pull your hair out trying to f- calculate and project every little detail, but it's good to make that calculation so you know where your company stands on that scale. Is it they're pretty safe? Are they like super in danger? Are they desperate? Are they somewhere in the middle where it can kind of go either way? And if that's the case, well, maybe you're just you're watching for those 8K announcements more closely um, than you would. Uh, for a stock that you felt really good about. And I think bottom line that the next two earnings seasons, if you will, are going to be very enlightening. Uh, Oh man. Right now, you know, right now everything is just speculation. We we don't really know. Uh, We see the unemployment numbers. You see the stimulus that the government is trying to pass that did pass. Uh, You see the conversations on the news, but nobody really knows. And we've had a little bit of guidance from some of the bigger companies recently, like Apple. Uh, But other than that, there really hasn't been a lot of specific news. So 
I think the next earnings season and the one after that are going to be very, very telling. And that will give you a really, really good idea of how AMC is doing, for example. What are they, how are the, how are they, how are they really reacting to what's going on with no income? And how is that really affecting what's going on with their business? And how are they dealing with it? Uh, I think that will tell everything that you need to know over the next probably six months or so. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch for sure. Oh yeah. It's, it'll be must see TV and not in a good way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's already been must see TV for me negatively in my portfolio. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, ditto. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's everybody. I guess I would, I would, I would say, you know, from the way he asked the question, it sounded like he was asking as if he was trying to buy one of those companies, right. you know? Yep. Um, I think the conversation is a lot different when you look at it as this is a stock I'm holding and I want to see if it survives through versus I'm looking at these stocks as opportunities. Right. I would stay away with a 10 foot pole. Like uh, there's no reason to be buying into a stock where, you know, revenues completely halt. There's just no reason because there's so many other businesses out there that aren't in that situation. I mean, there's a huge difference between like no revenue for two months versus having to have revenue, but it's a recession. You know, that's a huge difference. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're thinking about, you know, if you're thinking about investing in a restaurant right now, you know, Darden Industries would be tough because, you know, all their Olive Gardens, for example, they're all closed right now. And that would be, they're not making any money. I mean, that would be difficult. McDonald's, you know, they're still open, so to speak, and in, in that people can go through the drive-through. I don't, I don't have specific numbers on how they would be doing comparatively to having their dining rooms open, but I gotta imagine it's it's got to be a hit at least of fifty-ish percent, maybe. That's just oh, a well, guess. how many how I, many I, people I do, are? Sorry, sorry, it's okay. Right. How many people are you know? cooking now because you don't want to catch the virus randomly from somebody who works at the restaurant yeah exactly i, I, I imagine no. a ton of people are staying home oh yes away even if there is a drive-through yeah absolutely so i mean there's just there like andrew said there are other businesses that you could look at that are still able to generate revenue of some way shape or form that would be better opportunities and i understand the thought process, you know, you're looking at trying to be a contrarian and kind of going against what everybody is saying, but there's also the aspect of investing with a margin of safety and the emphasis on the safety and the unknown of trying to buy into a company like AMC, for example, that has zero revenue right now. And depending on where you are in the country, that could be anywhere from a week to a month that they have not had any revenue whatsoever. And, I'm here in Wisconsin and we've been, we've been on quote unquote lockdown for the last two weeks. And my fiance lives in Chicago, Illinois. They've been on lockdown for three weeks. So AMC has had zero revenue in Chicago area for three weeks. And so thinking about trying to buy a company that is going through that right now and could be extended until the end of, it will be extended till the end of April and possibly into May. And so you're talking about almost a full quarter with zero revenue and, 
that would make me really, really nervous as somebody wanting to buy that company. I understand that you think that the stock is going to take a huge hit and that when everything goes back to normal, quote unquote normal, and everybody goes back to watch all their favorite movies in the theater, that uh, the revenue will just skyrocket again. Who knows? We don't know yet. I'm not trying to be negative Nelly here. I guess I'm just trying to be more realistic and think about what are the good and bad aspects of trying to buy into a company like that. No, it's a very important message to share because when you talk about being a value investor and trying to buy low and sell high, you're not buying low just for the sake of buying low because it's cheap. A lot of times being a contrarian doesn't mean you're just buying it because it's cheap. It means you're understanding that there's fears, but a lot of time those fears are very over exaggerated. You know, you can have right. a lot of extreme pessimism or optimism for different stocks. And so a great example is like, oh, you know, this stock was expected to grow at 10% next year. It grew at 9% and now they adjusted guidance to 8%. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, right. and then and then Wall Street freaks out, and you sell like a ten or fifteen percent sell sell. Like that's right. what we're talking about when you say buy low, be a contrarian. Not um, there are obvious huge business impacts here, and so that's why the stock's selling off. Well, yeah, it is, and you have to understand the value of that business is going down, and you're watching it in real time. So take that into account when you're looking at buying cheap. Yeah, exactly. And those are those are all things that you need to think about and consider when you're tr- looking at why a stock is getting hammered. I'll, I'll throw out financials for a moment. Uh, banks are getting hammered right now for a couple of reasons. One, because the interest rates are so low that they are their primary source of income is on loans, credit cards, car loans, mortgages, all those things is the interest that they're charged to lend out money. They borrow money from the government and then they lend it out to us. So they borrow the money from the Fed, from the Fed at two and a half percent and then they sell it to us for five percent. The bank gets to keep that two and a half percent and that's how they make their money. So when the interest rates keep getting hammered down, down and down, then they can't lend as much because we all know that the interest rates are so low that why would I pay 12% for a car loan when I know that the bank is only, you know, probably getting charged a percent for that. So their interest income goes down drastically when something like that happens. And most people probably think that they make money from all the fees that they charge us. That's actually very most banks, it's a pittance uh, compared to the interest income they make. And so that's why banks are getting hammered right now. And the other aspect of that, too, is because people are hurting and you know, 10 million people are out of jobs as of this week. Uh, that's less money that's getting deposited into the bank that they can, again, turn around and use to lend out to people like us to buy stuff. And so the lower deposits they have, the less money they have. So that's why banks, you know, those are their two main sources of income is deposits and lending out money. And when those two main revenue drivers are drying up, then their revenue is going to dry up. Does it mean they're all going to go out of business? No. But what it does mean is that they're not as valuable as they were six weeks ago. And so that's why they get, that's why they're getting hammered. And 
So that's one of the aspects of understanding what industry or business that you're trying to invest in and think about the ramifications of the economic situation that we're all going through right now. And that's why it's important to think about through some of those things. Like Andrew was saying, if a company's not making any money right now, like with zero income, then how they're going to pay for anything and why and trying to buy into a company like that would be very, very risky at this point. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, the sell-off has been pretty extreme, and so I'm seeing a ton of value out there. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's it's pretty exciting and picked up on stocks that I've been wanting to pick up on for a long time. And so you just have to gauge like what is the business impact, how diversified is is the the that business's income streams and revenue streams. And so you know if they're they're all going to kind of get a little bit lower. But there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity and there's also a lot of value traps out there. And so you have to be careful. You have to really know what you're doing. I think there's what was that quote you said? Um somebody we really like said something about all the money he's made now. Oh, um Vitaly said that um he said that he read somewhere the value investors, this is where they make their money. But you know you're not going to make it just because you're blindly buying into cheap stocks that are clearly going to have issues. It's because you understand that because the whole market is selling off, then there's fear everywhere. That's going to leave a lot of pockets of opportunity if you get in at the right times and try to figure out which situations will be more like my example that I said, where you know we're talking about a couple percentage points less of growth, but we're still seeing growth versus a catastrophic drying up of revenue. Figure out which one that situation is and then feel confident about buying into the stock where things will be fine in the long run. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I wanted to thank you, everybody, for sending in those questions. Those were fantastic. Those were great questions. And you guys are getting better and better at them. So please keep sending them to us. We love helping you guys and help learn as much as you can about the stock market, especially in this crazy time. And hey, we, most of us have not a lot to do. So this is a great learning experience as well. So uh, go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. You guys have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.